Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is Gavin McDermott, who makes music as The Shoda. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Alan. It's glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, very exciting. We're, it's like a season of big topics we're doing. We've done Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and now we're doing the N64, finally. A topic we've danced around a bit, and we've talked about it in bonus episodes a little bit before. Specific games, I would say. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, it's exciting to finally do a big old episode about it. So, Gavin, tell me, like, you're tell me about when you got your N sixty four. I was having to think about this earlier, actually, Alan, and I was I distinctly remember it because it's it's one of those core memories, you know, like in that movie Inside Out, um, <laughs> you know, well, minus the trauma, no trauma in this case, but uh, yeah. I was actually down. I grew up in Wexford, so we actually went. There used to be a toy store in Wexford Town called Burns World of Wonder. I think. What a name of a toy shop. Because <laughs> yeah, it was also a bookshop. So, it had, you know, it had the, um, you know, the old school vibe. And then, you know, the, the other section, which was the, uh, which was the toy shop, which is, I suppose, the way probably most shops were in Ireland, back, back yeah. at the department stores. So I was in, in there and I remember it was evening time and I was with this other friend I had years ago. Um, I haven't seen in a long time, actually. And he, he was a, like an avid gamer. And he was saying, you should get this uh, one here because it has the gold pad, you know, and all that. And I was like, they were like, oh, we're out of stock. You'll have to wait. And I was like, I don't care. I just I'll have any whichever one's going. So it was the, you know, the gray pad and the black console, nothing fancy. And I got an extra one, like like a blue pad as well. And it came with uh, none other um, than Goldeneye, which oh. um, a visual visually uh, uh, like if there's such a thing as a visual soundtrack to my childhood, Golden Eye will be there, but also the soundtrack itself, which is making a nice uh, comeback, I believe, on TikTok and other kind of like short. We were only playing yeah. it in here last night. We only had it on last night. I walked up the stairs in the kitchen and Kerry was playing. I was like, I know that song. Yeah. I know, I know that's slightly <laughs> foreboding, ambient, uh, like not quite fully vaporwave, but definitely a predecessor to that sort of sinister ambient jam. It's the fucking pause screen on Golden Eye, is what it was. Unbelievable. Hours of fun. You could just lash on the pause screen and vibe out to that for ages. And I t- the fact that you mentioned Vaporwave then as well, I, mm. I discovered that a couple of years ago and a couple of artists like, you know, George Clanton and just the whole world of Vaporwave and realized, hang on, there's there's such a throwback here to 90s games consoles. And- Absolutely responsible for it, I would yeah, say. Like yeah. all the, the, rare, the Rareware boys arguably are the sort of originators of that kind of uh, ambient... Yeah. Uh, a, not it's not atonal it is melodic but there is a kind of a I'm going to very gently use the word vibe <laughs> 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 that connects both of those sort of sounds but that that is a real it adds a real texture to your childhood right so that particular visual and audio world of something like Goldmine is so distinctive and so rich as well right oh definitely like I would like I could only clear the game back in the day on like the agent difficulty so i only ever got as far as cradle and then uh, actually when i was in college i brought it i found the console and brought it up and when i should have been studying i managed to get to like, like do it on secret agent i wasn't a brilliant gamer i was actually very would be very conservative even today when i'm playing like we ever play skyrim 
my girlfriend would just say, Jesus Christ, why is it taking you like three hours to clear the dungeon? <laughs> Look, there's no such thing as being good or bad at games, in my opinion. Some people treat them as a sport. I personally do not. It's all about feeling your way and what you get from the experience. I am personally terrible at games, but I play them every single day. So, like, you don't have to be able to beat the thing to be able to der- derive joy from the experience of visiting it. And especially because the Nintendo... What age would you have been when the N64 came out? When it came out, I was four, but I didn't get one until I was seven. It was 1999 when I got mine and yeah. just turned 31 so yeah so yeah we're about we're about the same age a little bit I'm a little bit older but like I was I would have been 11 when 10 or 11 when the N64 came out and like actually Jesus might have been a bit no oh my god it was before that because yeah it was, I was 13 when it came out over here so Jesus Christ it was before that oh my god I was really young yeah, yeah. Mm. um and those games are not like easy games for small children oh. to play no, not at all. Like, um, like Goldeneye was, like, I just, I have such nostalgia attached to the, like everybody does with the 64, the PlayStation 1 or what what have you. I never had a Sega. I remember going to, there's some houses where, oh, that's a Sega house in there. Okay. And it, You're a Sega house, weren't we you, We were a Sega house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. represent I've, the Sega I house. I never really played N64 <laughs> until yesterday when I got the Switch expansion. Um, So I played Goldeneye for the first time yesterday. Um, Wow. When you can, like tame it it's really fun it feels really good and the shooting feels really good but i kept on just spinning in circles because the controls are half the controls are flipped to the other oh. d-pad and half of them aren't oh. it makes no sense to someone whose brain is fully fully wired into 2023 first person movement you see the way that controller i so there's a lot of talk is there a lot of talk or is this just what you and your husband talk about all the time, Sarah? <laughs> this is the question. But there's a lot of talk in this fucking house about what the best controller is. Yes, that's a real true insight into the things that I value. Mm. Um, and I, I would argue that against the symmetry and the weighted kind of perfection of the PlayStation controller, say, I love that weird tri- like, tri- trident-shaped N64 yeah. controller. Yeah. Like uh, with the single joypad and the yellow buttons and the D-pad, like it's really comfortable in the hand, and uh, it's it doesn't translate very well to modern controllers at all because it's a completely different layout visually. Mm. The colors are different, the shape is different. I busted the control stick on it from oh, playing yeah. it, and my dad got a single nail and managed to keep the button top from the original controller, but architected a nail down the middle of it into the ball which remained in the socket so my original n64 controller is mostly a nail that's insane i love that as well like that's it's like the way people talk about old macs now the way you could fix them and you can't do that now everything's glued down but like the what you're saying about the pad because i was i was thinking about this and it was like the pad was a was a huge it was you know it's iconic to look at first of all and feel wise i mean the way i played it was you know i had my left hand on that joystick you know middle bit and then my right hand would have been where the A and B button are. And then there was that other hinterland uh, across the other side of the pad with the D-pad on it, which, of course, is what was the Super Nintendo's. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it actually, when you look at it in hindsight, um, you know, looking at the, you know, the NES or the SNES and then up to what we have now with the Switch, and you kind of see the 64s, like all the consoles from that generation were, you know, they were the first kind of three-dimensional, six, they were 64, but that's why it's called 64, I suppose. And um, like as an artifact in time, it's just really fascinating to look at now. But um, 
Yeah, there was so no, and there was no right way to hold a sixty-four pad. No, no. <laughs> there was no right look. Way. I used to put both my hands on top of it and have it on my lap, so I used it almost like a keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen that too. I remember seeing that on TV before. I mean, like, what, what are they, what are they doing? And then it was just like, no, I guess that's okay too. You know, it's, you know. You... But I'll tell you, the one downside of using it like that was you don't get to use the R trigger button at the uh, back, which is how I, at the tender age of, I may, maybe this is eleven, beat the ocarina of time without using Z targeting. And the people oh. who understand that will understand that because nowadays I simply cannot play any combat-oriented game without using a targeting system. And somehow, at eleven, consider an eleven-year-old. With no frontal lobe development, you know, <laughs> who can't vote, uh, being able to complete a very large, elaborate adventure game without using any targeting. So I don't know where the dedication came from, you know. I think it's I like know. it's really cool, actually, that you mentioned that because I remember in the in Goldeneye, one of the fun things you could do was like you could change the controller style setup. This, this yes. was the first time you know had a console where you could do that in a, like a meaningful way, and then you could do the you could use two different controllers and. You, you could like shoot people in the cutscenes when you weren't supposed to. And there was all these little hidden secrets. And um, that, that was just so, there was so much you could get out of it that were like, they were secrets, but they weren't necessarily, you know, the typical in-game secret. It was just something to discover yourself and how you used it as like a user interface. See, that was all Rare. Rare as a dev team were very young. Um, there are some photographs of them going over to Japan with their early Donkey Kong designs and I swear to God they're 19 years of age. You know, they were a very young, very small team that were really... They were given a lot of permission to do a lot of mad shit from what I can gather from the endless YouTube videos that I've watched about. (laughs) Um, But um, there was a lot of silliness and a lot of invitation to the player to push around and to fuck around. And I, I think that that's a really... A really special thing from games from that era is that, like, you know, it's very easy to say all those games are broken. But they're not. <laughs> they're just more flexible, you know? They just invite pushback. So you started out with Goldeneye. Where did you go next? I had Goldeneye, and then I, I actually only ever really had four games on the 64 that I had heavy rotation. It was one, like, in the PlayStation, I had, I had a lot, you know, and I felt like the games were, well, they were more expensive on the 64, so that's they probably were. didn't have as many. But I felt the replayability of the 64 games was just amazing. Yes. Whereas, and they felt endless, didn't they? They were huge yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. like Gold, Goldeneye, like you were saying, I mean, there was, you know, you could play the game and play the missions. It was also one of the first games to have like a proper multiplayer. Multiplayer, and, yeah. You know, the, when I had the 64, I was living in an estate and there was, you know, a bunch of kids on the road that had them. And when you were done on the skateboards and whatnot, you go and grab a pad and go into someone's yeah. crowd or in the tiny like Panasonic TV or whatever. And then um, that that's just think that was amazing. You know, that, that everybody has some frame of reference. For, well, not everybody. I mean, I was lucky enough to have them, but I mean that that frame of reference is amazing and quite like universal all around the world. And Yeah. Gathering around the tiny tally to play yeah. something together. It was very like it was very, very special. Like I really I've only a hand a scatter few memories of that because I would have been one of the only kids in the estate with N sixty four among a, a huge populace of PlayStation kids. So I very rarely had anyone to play multiplayer games with because all the multiplayer games were the PlayStation like that was that was the sort of poison of choice, you know? Um so getting to play multiplayer on the N64 felt really special. And as I got older on the GameCube, getting to play multiplayer there was just religious. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just so much fun. It was genuinely so much fun to share these spaces that had otherwise felt very private with people in the room connected to the same telly. Like there's a, 
a gathering around the fire element to it, right? Oh, totally. And I mean, Gold and I offer that. So did Mario Kart. I actually had Mario Party, which is like... It seems wow, like, out of left field. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I loved that game as a kid and also it caused many a row because it's basically just Monopoly, you know, and you could like yeah. do you know, steal off other people. And there was all these kind of moral things that you would do, but not against the computer, against whoever you were playing with. And I know that game is like, because I actually got the recent version of it for Switch as a present, but it's not not the same, you know. Uh, nah. It was something of, about that. And I know it's not a, a game that's even very well liked. It, it quite divides people, but... I, also I think have... Mario Party is about your friends and not about yeah. Mario Party. And lots of multiplayer games have that where it's not actually about what is set up. It's about what you bring to the table and what you bring to the console with other people. You know, like so many games are just designed to be enjoyed across a, a, a family or a community or a group of friends. And I, Mario Party is literally a party game, you know, so I don't think yeah. it can be graded in the same way. That, that's fair enough. Yeah. What, and it was... Um... Yeah, went through a big phase of playing that, but it was always with other people because if you ever play that game on your own, it's like, well, that's probably when you're going to have your first existential crisis, you know, right? <laughs> and you're all like, why am I... Me and my friend Mario. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, you know, all the names instead of one and two players said calm, you know, for computer. Um, Dark. I had, yeah, I had Donkey Kong 64, which I never finished because I could okay. get that Nintendo coin. I could get the Rareware coin, but not the Nintendo, Nintendo coin. coin. Oh my god. Oh my god. Donkey Kong 64. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the Al, have you played this? Have you seen no, this? I played Donkey Kong Country, but that's it. A true classic. Yeah. Objectively perfect. Yeah. No notes. Mm. Donkey Kong 64 is fucking bizarre. Yeah. It is, I can hear Kerry laughing upstairs because we every so often try to play this fucking game and it just doesn't want you to have a good time. It just doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. Um, it opens on a very important piece of video game music. Uh, would you like to tell us about that, Gavin? <laughs> that piece of music that Gang 64 opens on? This this is the one um, with, uh, was it DJ Cranky doing the walnuts, peanuts, pineapple, shells, grapes, melons, iron edge. Oranges and coconut shells or something like that. That one, is it? That's it. The oh. DK rap. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's what Unbelievable. it's called. Yeah. yeah. And, um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You see? <laughs> yes. yeah. Over and it over is, again. Um, it is astoundingly bad. It is just... <laughs> so there was never any sung music on the N64. You know, not in the way there was in the PlayStation oh, yeah. because the discs couldn't hold music in the same way. Uh, yeah. So you don't really yeah. get any of those long, drawn-out, like, snake eater scenes that you would have on the PS2. You know, nothing like that. You don't hear voices, but somehow they had loaded an entire rap about everybody in the game, the various yeah. Donkey Kongs, <laughs> into the opening sequence, which was completely fucking bizarre, completely unhinged. Great crack, but also... Oh, yeah. I mean, at unhinged. the time, I just accepted it. Like, I played that game, like, a while ago as a... Like, when it was... Like, this is probably 10 years ago since I played that, like, revisited it. And I was like, God, this... Like... It's a really beautiful game, like, and all the... Oh, like, it looks great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's there's stuff like, you know, that, that song. It's like, oh, yeah, that's so cheesy. Like, I mean, Nintendo's always, there's always, like, that kind of, the, the happy cheesiness to it, which is, like, you like, because you go to that console for that feeling, for that hook, let's say. Mm. But with Donkey Kong, I remember, like, there was the Donkey Kong um, spin-off TV show, which is just, like, great. Yeah. Great wow. YouTube about that. I remember that would, would have been on after school sometimes, and it was like, it was. Do you know what it is? I have this thing about early CGI now, where it's like, yeah, um, there's some really good stuff on YouTube about it, and um, like, why why was it so unsettling, and why was it 
why is it so like you know horror movie-esque um i wish mm. i had a better phrase for describing that but essentially i think you know what i mean and i think it's like if you grew up when that was kind of starting um and you have that frame of reference for that era but then you also add in what we know now about the uncanny valley effect yeah yeah mm. there's a lot of creepiness there you know there is. I I think there's. I think we might see some good horror. There is that horror movie with Pierce Brosnan, which um was in this documentary. Uh, it's like, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's to do with the simulation of that. And there's a lot of really dodgy early CGI in it, but when you watch it, it's actually very unsettling because the mm. fact that it's so primitive adds to it. You know, it's like um when you watch Terminator One, and it has the stop motion, and it's not a, like a fluid special effect, so it's actually even more unsettling because mm. that's not a it's a humanoid figure, but it's not a human movement. Anyway, I just I think that's another th- thread that l- leads into the '64, and it's kind of pulled over us because I remember seeing someone writ- wrote before about that game, Shadows of the Empire, which is a really good Star Wars game. And someone said I was in a YouTube comment, and they said, um, "I love the way this game had low key horror vibes," and I never realized it when I was eight years old. But you're like, yeah, there was that game was fucking scary, man. Like the you know, the um, IG-88 droid that you had to fight in the boss fight, but it was like, again, that early CGI faceless kind of enemy thing. Um, I just, I find that really compelling now, actually. It does, because the way, the standards that we have for faces has changed so much. So when we were watching those games and playing those games as children and those early CGI television shows, like that looked like the height of technology. So certainly it looked a little strange, but we didn't like have to understand it as emulating reality directly. Do you know? Like there wasn't textures or there wasn't the things that they put into movies now that I call issue with. This is an anti-CGI podcast. <laughs> this is an anti-special effects podcast. Um, but I I find it very challenging to look at a lot of CGI because it sort of turns to like a visual salad on me. Yeah. And I nearly prefer the unsettling uncanny valley of early CGI because at least there's, at least it's, it knows it's fake. At least yeah. it's artifice you know, as opposed to trying to come too close to me, which is, that's what that, I get hit real hard by Uncanny Valley, you know, in that way where it's like, I would rather it looked fake and spooky than real and unnerving, you know? Plus when you're young and you're seeing this stuff, it's, it's better than what was there previously. So it's always a little bit better. I remember always like reading computer magazines, like when I had the Mega Drive and seeing what was coming out, like on the Saturn and PlayStation going, this looks real. Yeah. This looks, this actually looks, yeah. they've, they've, they've nailed it. The next generation is going to, everything's going to look real. And then you look back, I played Ocarina of Time yesterday. And I Lego. was like, <laughs> beautiful Le- Lego. <laughs> Lego. And like empty as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, you fill it in with your imagination though. You feel yeah. it in Yeah. Oh, totally. I remember Ocarina of Time looking like, like Breath of the Wild does essentially. Yeah. But that was just doesn't. you. But <laughs> yeah. that was just yeah. you. And you're tra- like, yeah. I got the N64 for Christmas. Um, the year that it came out um Mm -hmm. and the last console that i'd gotten um was the super nintendo system and i got that when i was six so however many years it took it took and um i got mario 64 with it wow in a box and i sat out with my dad and we plugged it up into the tv and i had simply never seen anything like it the closest i had seen to that was fucking toy story Mm-hmm. And I played Mario inside and out, all of Mario All Stars on my SNES. I found a great solace in it. It was a very peaceful 
happy activity for me throughout my whole childhood as were like Yoshi's Island, Donkey Kong Country 1, 2 and 3. We didn't have a lot of games but like the ones I had, again like you said, the replayability, you played them to death or you trade with your neighbours and you played those to death. But opening up Mario 64 when he's standing outside, the he pops up out of the pipe and like Lakitu zooms around him in his cloud holding a fishing rod with a camera on it and you settle up out of the pipe and you you know you suddenly get a real sense of the three dimensions that you're standing in and I will never forget in my life the feeling of pushing that control stick forward instead of left or right forward like the world yields to you like it was it just felt like magic and even thinking about it now it still feels like magic so for all of my like fucking Donkey Kong 64 piece shit how the fuck do you expect me to collect all those bananas fuck you you know <laughs> I as a child I felt like a like ant at the foot of a giant I felt that it was a triumph and I felt also as well as awe I felt total transfer transportation so you do feel as though you're somewhere else and because of the way the way media used to be like I um, and again critically I was a child um, I would get uh, the game guides to go with the book to go with the games so I would have a book child who loves books I would have a book to go along with my game which is like that's fucking perfect so I also used to read these guides as though they were novels I would like study them you know um and uh, played every inch of that game, every inch of it. And then when the Ocarina of Time came out, which wasn't it was around in January, um, the following year, um, like it does feel empty now, and it does look empty now. But I remember the the music actually more than anything yeah. else. The feeling of mm. just the music was fucking incredible. You oh, know, yeah. like. Mm. I never took playing any of those games lightly or something. No, no, I, re- I remember because I, I, I didn't have Zelda, but the friend I was telling you about at the start, I remember he had it and I used to go to his like after school like every day because, you know, we our, both of our moms would mind, you know, each of us. That's real estate business. Yes. <laughs> that yes. was very much estate business. Very estate business. Very yeah. Estate business. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we were playing Zelda and there was the whole thing about, I remember yeah there was the space and then there was this whole kind of okay it has the like the kind of nice i'm watching like an animated film by but it also has something else unsettling going on which is dark dark is that the open space there's fog and the fog there for you know maybe architectural reasons the game can only render so far um and i remember just there was this atmosphere and it ha- it does have a similar feel to like maybe the Miyazaki animes and even some like Japanese horror, which I haven't delved hugely into yet. But I I remember distinctly there was that weapon, the giant's knife, and yes. it would break. Like it would break, yeah. a weapon in a game where it could that breaks, break and you were like, well, no. And it cost you a fucking arm and a leg. Yeah, it cost you so <laughs> much, so many rupees. Yeah, yeah. It was Jesus. A- <laughs> There's a trading sequence uh, that you can do to get the proper giant's knife, um, which is forged by the big Goron who lives on top of the mountain next to the fire temple and the great fairies fountain. I know this game inside out. And <laughs> me and Kerry played through the Ocarina of Time a couple of years ago on Twitch. And we did, and it's t- it's a fucking timed trading sequence. You have to go and get all this bullshit and give it to all these people and run around and climb up the top of the mountain to get back to the fucking the big Goron and give him eye drops because all the dust from the mountain has yeah. gone into his eyes. 
somewhere there exists on Twitch a clip of us getting that fucking those eye drops to him in the last two seconds of that time limit and I've never felt more vindication in my entire life <laughs> than being like gonna get the big sword and it's not gonna break it's permanent big sword and that it's comes back to what you're saying earlier about like these games were not they weren't not easy. easy compared to like because no. I, I kind of got out of Get, like I, d- I had a PlayStation 2 and then I didn't have anything after that until I inherited a 360 from a friend of mine uh, called Matt when he was moving back to Canada. And um, I remember playing that and it was like, it was, there's a lot of flashing, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but it was a lot of like, you know, explosions and, you know, f- you know, a lot of aggression, let's say, coming at you. But like, you, yeah. you died, it was okay. You just like wake back up somewhere else and uh, just continue and, um, you know, I remember, but like sure in GoldenEye, if you died, you, you died. That was it. You know, there was no checkpoints or anything. Done. Yeah. Games yeah. want you to finish them now. Like from like the 360 year onwards, are like, we put a lot of effort into this. We want you to see as much of it as possible. Yeah. Like just get back in there, champ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to love and support you. Yeah. Whereas fucking Majora's Mask, the other fucking, the, my, my favorite game, the sequel to Ocarina of Time, is just like, here's a giant moon. It's coming out of the sky. You have three days or everyone that you meet is going to die. Good luck, 11-year-old boy. <laughs> Off you go. You can do it. Like, abject horror. Yeah. The whole thing is terrifying. I couldn't put it down. I was obsessed with it. You know? Because those are places where you can go to investigate those feelings of the uncanny, those weird misty spaces, that sense of darkness, that sense of emptiness. And you can investigate those sensations in a way that is safe, in a way that is quite literally play. Yeah, yeah. So they're good places to go to be be afraid. Yeah, and I I actually can, I have a distinct memory of, I remember in Gold, I'm going to go back to Goldeneye again. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a level, a multiplayer level called... um, stack and then there was another one called library and it was the same map it was just in the library level the basement was open and um i sometimes i just wouldn't play that one because i didn't even like the idea of the the basement because when you go down there like you were just waiting for something to get you even though there's nothing like that in the game and golden eyes it's a spot it, it's something about those white that spaces and just uh you know all these the, the lack of texture polygons they look you fill in the space with your imagination you become the architect of the monsters i think the best horror and the best storytelling is ones that allow your imagination to so i have a big i've said this many times before like i'm a big proponent of the unfinished world building i'm a big proponent of things with gaps because you the reader the viewer player are fucking intelligent and you can fill in those polygons and those texture with your own fears and your own concerns to me there's nothing better than a region in a video game that you are too afraid to fucking go into Oh, yeah. You know, like that's real, that's real shit. You know, I think that's high quality game design because it, sh- it should be evoking something in you. You yeah. know, it should be like, maybe I'm putting too much on the medium, but I think oh, it should make you feel transported and like at risk or something, you know? Yes. And that's how I always felt playing games. I, I, I didn't want to win, I didn't want to lose. You know what it was? I, like, I would yeah, try, and, yeah. I was always a conservative game player. I remember I played, when I played first person shooters, I'd be like, you know, if you pick up all this extra stuff, I'd be like, well, I don't want to use it in case, you know, I'll just stick to my... Oh, yeah. I'm one of those yeah. people, like, really conservative, like... Um, and it's funny because I used to always kind of dislike that about myself, but actually realised now it's like, no, that's just, like, people who play the game in another way or, like, um, like with role-playing games, you're... It's that kind of, you know... 
your different styles of playing the game are encouraged because you're taking on like a different character and the, yeah. like, a mirror of yourself or uh, some you know refracted version of yourself. That's yeah. okay. But I, I think if you're playing something like um, let's say Goldeneye, which is very uh, you know meat and potatoes is not a nice expression to use because they still think it's masterful because there is you know it is masterful but within this it's it's simple yeah. though like it simple, it's it's yeah. yeah that's exactly it and yeah like i actually i must go i didn't know they'd released it on the switch yet so I'm gonna oh, go and folks, do that it's brilliant there's so much there's so many games that you would have asked for every christmas for your entire childhood just there on the switch for free exactly. it is just there you sign up, like, I think it, there's like, it's like a Switch expansion, it's a tenor, and you get a whole load of shit, including an entire N64, like, rammed with Forever, games. like? Yeah, it's just oh, well. on your Switch. Well, it's, it's yearly, yeah, but... Yeah, like uh, yeah ten, but like, ostensibly forever. Yeah. Oh my god, that's great, because I actually can't find uh, my 64 the one that I mentioned at the, the start. Oh, uh, do you know what? I Ours is fucking broken, and I am for you and we've two and we can't get to use them no do you know what that's the Kerry is that the SNES the SNES sorry the SNES is broken because this is a brief segue I won't spend too long on it uh, we bought a, a cartridge in a video game shop in Paris that is a hack of um, Link to the Past so somebody went in completely remade it and loaded it back into cartridges replicated them for playing on the SNES which is just the box is amazing. It's in French. We'll deal with that later. Um, <laughs> but it's a it's a hack. Like it's a but it's a hack you can hold, and it was made many many years ago, um, and produced years ago. But we've just realised that we have two Super Nintendo systems in this house, and we, neither of them work. And that's just time, you know. Yeah. So they eventually do give up. I think one of our N64s work, but like those are old engines. Yeah. You know? like- I, I, mine must be somewhere in the attic at home. I remember I packed it away in a particular bag when I was moving back from college for a while. And then I actually haven't seen it since then. That was like, that's nearly 10 years ago. Like, so it's there somewhere, but I just, I'll need to go and root it around with the demons in the attic um, to go and play with the demons on the console again. But yeah. I can't do it because of the Switch. So, But yeah, in the meantime, was, on the yeah. Switch, it's great. Al, what games did you have a look at on your new voyage into the realm so, of 864 i tried goldeneye like i said span round 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 circles um <laughs> very un, very unfair uh just also <laughs> just trying to it was like trying to figure out what how the original n64 controller maps onto the switch controller was like trying to like read a play in ancient greek oh you know it was yeah. like really i was like i'm gonna press this button see what happens okay that's an a all right um i played a little bit of Ocarina in time. But F-Zero X. Oh, a F- lot. Amazing. That is Beautiful. an amazing game. There's your Vaporwave bangers. There's yeah. your Joe yeah. Satriani ass fucking <laughs> like unbelievable <laughs> tunes. Mute City. Mwah. Big Blue. Yeah. Perfect music. Unreal. Yeah, a very fun game. Uh, Mario Golf played a bit of. Uh, which all golf games are are good to me. I, I, it's, they're very brain off. Yeah, it's yeah, like definitely. you pre- press the button here, press the button here. Good. Do that again. Have you played Golf Story? 25 times. No, actually. Carrie loves Golf Story. It's a, yeah. I, I feel as though you would like it. I mean, it's I about golf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very chill, gentle, pixelated RPG right. where you're a young golfer up against the world. That it's very great. long. It Perfect. looks very, very involving. Um, yeah. What else do you like? 
Um, what else? I tried a little bit of Yoshi's story. Oh, so sweet. And then I yeah. got to just a bit I just couldn't get past where there was like a guy with a sign and it's like you have to do something special to get past him. And it doesn't uh, tell you what it is. And I was like, on to the next one. It's fine. <laughs> this would have cost me £65 back at the oh time and God. I would have definitely figured it out. And Yoshi's story is arguably right very short. I love Yoshi's story, but yeah. it is not easy and also quite short. Hmm. And what else did I try? Wave Racer, because I think I remember playing like, Wave, Wave Racer in like yeah. an N64 in Duns. You know, these haven't, these haven't oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's it's really interesting, like, going to playing them with no nostalgia whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Because they're so clearly like a transitional, like, generation of consoles where they're still figuring everything out and yeah. nothing works quite the way you expect it to now because they figured it out a little bit better next time around. Yeah. Like even the GameCube is like them with the controller going, okay, we're going to, we're going to head towards the PlayStation controller. We're not going to pretend that they're right just yet. We're going to like, <laughs> we're not going to siege to a these, halfway one. Yeah. These, this Crash Bandicoot bastard. We're going to be a little bit goofy with it still. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be purple. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. But like you have to, you really have to think, look at those games with like a, a historical eye at this point. Yeah, like they're yeah. like, yeah. like you're watching like, Silent movies is probably not quite fair, but like you're watching like a Citizen Kane. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, it is amazing. But also there is stuff that's going to be lost on you here. And there's stuff that you're not going to appreciate because it's happening for the first time there. And you've seen it and completely internalized it. It doesn't doesn't impress you at all anymore. Like moving forward with Mario. That's it. And the, the thing you said about the Greek thing is actually really accurate because it's like, if you have played through those games, I'm so sorry. I turned into such a dour, serious bitch when I talk about video games. I'm just like, this <laughs> is so meaningful. But I think that if you have, I, again, I catch myself saying shit like this. I'm so sorry. But, but having played those games and obtaining a, like, a fluency in the way that the mm. sort of ludology of it works right in the, that particular style of gameplay which is now obsolete and is early capitally early in the voyage mm. of video games and certainly in the voyage of the 3d game you by attaining a fluency in that and a like an an understanding of where the gaps are and a like a, a fluency is the only word that i have right you mm. it's like having a language yeah yeah yeah, definitely. It's having a language of play. Like, I can sit down with an N64 and be like, okay, I'm home. Let's go. Yes, fuck John Kong 64, but I do know exactly how all this works. Do I know where mm-hmm. all these bananas are? No, but I kind of more or less have the patience to get some of them. Like, these are maps and locations and places that I have been to. I have spent great deals yeah. of time in these places. So I have a kind of a, a travel knowledge of them. However, they're hard. They're wonky. They don't fucking like always work. They're slightly off-putting and the quality to a person who has grown up in a different generation of games could be kind of like, like it would be very easy to lose these cultural artifacts to obsolescence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because they're kind of shit, you know? But I don't know. I think the generation who grew up with them and the fluency there, yes, nostalgia is a loud song that is mm. difficult to hear over. But being able to engage with them in a way that is fluent it preserves something i think a mm. moment in oh, time sure. you know a passage transitionary is a great way of describing them we went through those to get here yeah. i think it'd be interesting to sit like a 12 year old down with like super mario world and mario 64 and ask them like which one of these do you think is older 
I'm not sure they get it right. That's very interesting. I feel like like the 16-bit era has aged a lot better than yeah. the N64 and like the PlayStation One games, especially. Yeah. But there is like there is re- really interesting games out now that are have an updated PlayStation One N64 aesthetic, like Paradise Killer and Neon White yeah. and and Two and stuff like that. So it's getting re-brought back in as like yeah. how it was in your head. Because mm. when when you when you play Neon White, it's like this is what. It, PlayStation 1 Japanese shooters seem like in my head at the time. They don't look yeah. like that. They look like just various beige triangles on green triangles. Yeah. <laughs> like moving around. But like, yeah. it's what it felt like. So. I, I think there's like a relationship there between, let, let's say, with music. I know there's like this synthesizer I love, which, you know, um, anyone who likes 80s music will love is the Juno. And. Mm. Um, like I know people that are in their fifties or sixties and just like, Oh, those are, yeah, you used to buy them for 200 quid and you used to have loads of those in the studio or whatever. And like, you know, someone like me or they'd be like, Oh my God, like that's, it's like a fucking, it's like the, the enterprise or something, you know, it's uh, yeah. It, Searching um, for since like uh, price heights low on reverb is yeah. interesting. Like the Junos and the profits oh, and stuff. Like, uh, the, the, some, yeah, some yeah. of the Jupiters go for like 16 K or whatever. And I think originally maybe they retailed a lot lower, but the thing is maybe th- with the games, like I think I still, cause I've, you know, when you go back and you watch a movie you watched years ago that you liked and you're like, mm. oh, it actually was kind of shit. But then the good ones, like let's say toy story stood the test of time. I, I think games mm. like, to me, anytime I've gone back to play Gold and I have been like, it's still fucking hard, man. Like, I mean, it still never mm. did it on Double O Agent. Like, and I've watched I one of my great procrastination exercises um, over the years has been like, what, what, <laughs> watch the Golden Eye speed runs on YouTube. Oh, meet your cousin. <laughs> I'm the same. Come <laughs> on, you're in the right place. <laughs> this is why. And, and yes. I realize there's this whole world like this, all these tournaments and like. There's a guy that makes documentaries about GoldenEye speedrunning on YouTube and they're like, the production quality is great and like it draws you straight in and like, you know. And My I- speedrunning documentary guy is called Summoning Salt right. and he is the fucking creme de la creme of if you want to figure out how these guys figured out how to beat Super Mario Brothers in four minutes and 48 seconds, he is how you go and you find that intel out. He's brilliant. He just goes the full... And he has a really normal voice. <laughs> I treasure a normal voice on YouTube. Yeah, you know, he's know very he's measured. Do you know what I mean? Like not irritating, like real good. Yeah. Here's my thing about speedrunners. I think you might appreciate this as a musician. At a certain point, when speedrunners are playing... Um, oh God, I was on a podcast recently and I was asked to explain what speedrunning is. For any listeners who don't know what speedrunning is, it's when you play a video game really fast on purpose. That's mm-hmm. it. Oh. Um, <laughs> when people speedrun games to an, a level that is like button input after button input to get you to a certain point or to the end screen or to whatever as fast as possible and the inputs are almost identical other than the speed at which you can put them in, the get, playing the game becomes, to my eye, more like playing a musical instrument than it does playing a game. It's like you're playing a song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It it's like playing a piano piece, but it's fucking Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, and there's ton like I remember reading like because the Golden Eye ones were great because they were so they were so optimized. They're still shaving like seconds or. Oh, every year they get a little a little closer, yeah. you know, a little spicier. And it's like uh, there was a one guy. <laughs> I remember reading the story about one guy who figured out, and uh, it was on a forum because all these forums still exist or the archives even they're all from the late nineties and early two thousands and. The, the guy you mentioned actually um and basically so, some guy who's like 
well, well older than everybody else. He was about 49 or 50. He was just like, they were like, how'd you get that time? He was like, I just, when I'm running, I just look down because then I don't see the explosions and then they don't render. And the Nintendo 64 chip couldn't render explosions properly. That's why, actually, if you want to play the game, how maybe they intended play it on an emulator. But uh, the 64, the chip couldn't handle it. But I mean, like, sure that's part of the experience. You know, it's like listening to a vinyl record with, with crackles, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, the screen looks different. It's softer on your eye. If you really want to go hardcore, you get yourself a CRT TV. If anyone knows where I can get a CRT TV, please let me know. They're surprisingly hard to come by <laughs> and games just look better on them. They just do. But that mm. rendering time thing is fascinating, isn't yeah. it? That they will shave off time at yeah. any angle and it really stops being a game and it starts being like a composition, you know? It starts yeah. being something else like an exercise in navigation or an exercise in input i don't know how to describe it yeah, like a pilot um, i'm actually supposed to be going for a flying lesson soon actually because my cool yeah i'm really really excited i used to be really afraid of flying and then i just started reading lots about it and just became very interested in it but um like I'm, I'm watching stuff stuff on youtube and actually yeah the way the way pilots are like the way they're flying the plane like it's it, when you watch the speedrunner, if you watch games done quick or whatever, it seems to be the similar space of like pe- people not thinking about they're thinking the next steps ahead or, you know, there's, it's an automatic response and music would be like that as well. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm anyway, like I have a few mates that w- I would, you know, say they're, um, you know, almost prodig- prodigies at what they do. Like they're that, you know, for, they have some virtuoso talent. I'm not like that at all really, but, um, yeah, it's it's a similar space, you know, because it is a performance. Mm. Ultimately, it is. And at GDQ and SGDQ, GDQ is Games Done Quick, SGDQ, or uh, AGDQ, Awesome Games Done Quick, and SGDQ, Summer Games Done Quick, is a live charity role. It's a live charity speedrunning event where gay, they have a three or four days convention style where they broadcast live games, speedrun. It's like the Olympics of speedrunning, but all the money goes towards Doctors Without Borders, um, which is a, and they raise millions of dollars a couple of times a year. It's a really, really good event, um, and the sport and the live games are narrated like like sports, and it's a really great place to see a game of Mario Three beaten in fifteen minutes. You know, <laughs> like I watched Mitch Fairbarrow play through um, do to do to do a run of um mario 3 uh this year and i was just sitting there like in wonder i was just like how do you navigate this so well because i would play that game as a six-year-old yeah. and it felt enormous to me it felt oh, impossible yeah. to me so watching the move at such incredible pace is like oh it's insane. especially games oh. that era because they're so unforgiving you know oh, yeah they don't they don't love you <laughs> they don't want you to win it's funny what you no, say no. about mario 3 I, I remember playing that because like i mean it would have been do you remember there was the edition they released where you had um super mario super mario 2 and it was Ma- probably mario 3 then as well it's all stars yeah it's all stars yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I had, sorry i had all stars and i had a snes and it is somewhere probably up in the attic with the demons and uh, the demons <laughs> with the, the creepy golden eye demons yeah the, well the first yeah exactly yeah. it's funny because I, I recently watched the movie the babadook which i'd never seen before and that it's i love jennifer kent like i mean everything i've seen she's done is amazing but i i think that film plays it, it it's not doesn't have the cgi thing actually it's all practical effects but like i think there's space for somebody to go and make a horror movie drawing on that cgi thing because i think this is my weird theory on it is basically if we are in a simulation then and if we know we're in we're in a simulation, let's say what's uh, your man um, 
the guy that wrote that paper from the late 90s that's often cited but uh if we're in a simulation it's because we can make other simulations and and the games like let's say on n64 and so on they're all simulations and some of them take on that um subliminal quality or whatever like you know liminal spaces thing yeah yeah i actually want to see that movie skinamarink on friday on friday i saw it last friday good I still feel a bit sick, to be honest. It was, but no, look, it's not going to work on everybody. Um, okay. Skin and Rink is a horror movie that was made for 15 grand in the director and writer's childhood home. The premise is a little girl and little boy wake up one, one night in the middle of the night and all the doors and windows are gone from the house. And I'm not saying anything more about the plot, but it is, some people will be like, fuck this. And some people will be like, fuck yes. And I was definitely on fuck yes. Okay, it is right. a tight 90 minutes. Yeah. It is absolutely terrifying okay right well i'm a i'm a real you know i'm a real scaredy cat so uh <laughs> godspeed <laughs> godspeed yeah. good luck out there it's a fucking rancid time it's very hardcore and but it's not exploitative it's not like the horror comes from somewhere different i think it comes from somewhere sophisticated somewhere more sophisticated than the babadook horror to be honest okay. i think it's much more challenging watch it's much more i i saw it as a successful experiment but i know it's not going to be for everybody but i think what that because it's filmed on digital and it's got a really deep grainy effect and a sense of nostalgia like it's timeless yeah. um i can understand what you're talking about about that particular time of cgi and that horror and that fear that it yeah. evokes because it is like the first time you see another world when you see those animations and things like that from the past like they do imprint on you at a really vulnerable time and those strange faces and wrong details and glitches and mistakes like all of that are those are brilliant components for horror and for questioning reality you know they are really and i would say skin and rink makes very good use of some of that i won't say what elements of there's some elements of that that skin and rink employs really fucking elegantly really really well okay cool well that's good to know that's kind of what i was hoping for like i mean i'm not really sure what i'm in for but uh you know anyway i'm excited for you i hope you like it have you seen it all are you is it your no. i don't know if it's your vibe i don't know maybe it I is i don't watch a lot of horror yeah i think i should start i should start i need to get into it because i need to get a, a more of a, a fluency and all this kind of stuff i think yeah yeah um, come to hell with yeah. me specifically yeah come look at some scary <laughs> shit with me uh so do you think you'll revisit the at the n64 bits all did anything there snag you did anything there bring you over um i'm not sure i think i might need to get the controller for it i think that's they a have big released a controller. impediment yeah. Yeah. yeah so i'm definitely gonna play fcrx again that was a lot of fun i really 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 enjoyed it i used to love um there was a game on the mega drive called street racer yeah which was um like a, a fake 3d but like almost like an outrun perspective game yeah. f-zero just feels like that like slightly lifted and sped up there's a bit in one of the early races where you suddenly you go out onto like a pipe and you can go the whole way around the pipe the outside of it and I was like yeah yeah how is this game surprising me like 25 years later that shouldn't be happening the reboots totally of those did. tracks on yeah. Mario Kart 8 were very strangely emotional for me because they mm. re- they released two tracks Mute City and the Big Blue from uh, which are the classics um yeah. from or reimaginings of those tracks um mm-hmm. on mario kart 8 and i found them really moving i was like this again like that feeling of this is how this looked in my head mm. when i played this game as a child you know i was yeah. like i played as white cat 
um, which is the girl, the girl on the first panel. You know, she's like mm-hmm. a, white, a white and pink car. Um, but I remember it really, really well. Like, and there was a story. I believe there was a plot somewhere in there. Like, there was like a accompanying anime where Captain Falcon is like, you know, in charge of this league of fucking weird ass racers who go through space. Like, there is a story that goes with it. But like, mm-hmm. the visuals of it were so thrilling. And again, I'm going to throw vaporwave in there again because it's these yeah, really yeah. surreal neon spacescapes, and it goes really mm-hmm. fucking fast. It was yeah. really fast, you know. And it feels really fast. Yeah, like it, yeah. It's there's a very long draw distance on it as you can see mm. a lot of cars very, and there's 30 cars in each race as well which is a wild amount of and they all want to kill you they all want to kill, kill you they're all very aggressive yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's super fun it's worth the, the tenor alone I would say mm. I got to do um, definitely yeah, I, I do, yeah. Definitely, definitely do. When, when you were describing all the you know playing Goldeneye without the pad and then I was thinking about the switch control and I was like no no, yeah, I literally uh, kept spinning in circles, and I would try to like because for some reason they've switched left and right for like so the left pad is like like up is forward and then back is back, but then left, which would normally be sidestep to our brains, is instead like turn like camera left. So you just keep on spinning oh, into walls all the time, and it's uh, so frustrating. Awesome. Yeah, that's not but the then you get a flow going, you're running down a corridor killing Russians and it's good. <laughs> no. I think you should use the Patreon cash to get yourself an N64 controller for the Switch as research Alan that's mm. what I think I think that's as name. good as a microphone is what I think that is <laughs> you know yeah, uh, yeah. Hmm. let's see um, Gavin please promote your stuff thank you so much for giving yeah, us a chance it's to been a whole N64. hour thank you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it I'd, I'd talk for another hour about all that stuff yeah <laughs> it's fascinating and i think we're, pro- we're probably all around the same age so it's like you can we can look back and look forward with kind of equal uh, perspective mm. yeah so yeah, yeah. um it is interesting to like actually have like you know like what's the word i'm looking for here like a, not canonical knowledge but like i guess like historical expertise on this stuff and be, be, to be able to have like a very long view on this kind of thing yeah and the views is, only getting longer. is weird yeah. And it's not, yeah, it's not something you've really thought about. It does feel like, like being around for, you know, the, like, the talkies, you know? Yeah. No, it's cool, like, yeah. actually, yeah. Because, like, I mean, there was, not, it wasn't just us talkies. before the the internet and now after the internet. Like, the, the mm. everything changed around, you know, the 90s into the 2000s. and It did. You know, but it's lovely to have this particular vantage point which is yes. a less common mm. one. Like I have a, I've had a chat recently with um, a wonderful video games journalist called Keith Stewart. He um, is the uh, lead writer of The Guardian, of the video game critic. And he comes from video game magazines, which he worked on in the 90s. Oh. So he would have worked at Edge in like the 90s. And the talking to him about having been there at the sort of dawn yeah. of it was just like it's so compelling because I have magazines that I would have bought as a child and teenager that like he worked on and I was just like I can't believe like you were fully there and you're like 20 you know what I mean like you that's golden age shit you know really really powerful stuff and um I do think it is a privilege to have been playing video games for a long time and to have watched them turn into what they are today like it's amazing to me that everyone is gripped by the last of us and I'm just like that's a video game 
That's a video game show. That's a video game show. I'm watching what is going to happen in the future for them, you know? And there will be times where the medium starts meeting other mediums like cinema and like television, which won't work and will be wonky as it has been in the past. We're all dreading the Mario movie. You know, (laughs) like deep fucking cringe. But like, I also, like, I do think either we have surpassed the turning point in the artistry or it's yet to come where it becomes... I mean, it's not commerce anymore. This happened with cinema where it's like, when is it considered commerce? When is it considered art? And I think that we have moved from commerce into art. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly when, but the feeling that I have in my bones is that it was around the N64. (laughs) It was around then. Mm. It was around then that it changed. Yeah, I think, I mean, maybe I don't know enough about gaming really. Like I, to, to make a proper comment on this but i i guess will it be okay because it is it's the one like we've had films for over 100 years like since the 1800s actually really and music's been around for a lot you know since forever um you know video games are so new so is it a case that maybe it will flit in and out of being art or commercial because like mm-hmm. you know the whole oh i might be getting the story wrong but you know like with metal gear solid like the only games they've been making is are those like vending machine or kind of like uh, gambling type games and like everybody just wanted a um you know another story about um snake or you know ever look all anyone ever wants another story about snake but kideo kojima's not giving it to anybody <laughs> no, and, and look fair enough he, 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 he can't really <laughs> doesn't do have to. no he, do, he doesn't but like and i it's funny going i know we're in the playstation territory here now but like metal gear 2 was the one i played kind of replayed the most because even though it wasn't you know necessarily the best game but just because it did it did that thing where it went re- really postmodern and yeah you know really bent boundaries and um i i think maybe in 50 60 years like people will be right those will be the ones people look at i think you you're de- i think he's definitely the first dot tour but i yeah. think also that you should come back and do a metal gear episode of us because oh. we haven't done metal gear yet i've been on yeah no I, i'd be i'd be totally game for that yeah and- because i would i would love to talk about metal gear and um I think something that means a lot to a lot of people too. Yeah, I, I would love to as well. I mean, there's there's actually an Irish guy that does the speedruns on so- Solid 3 and he's like, he's, he's on games. Get so. up the ladder. Get up the ladder, lad. Get up there. Maybe you could get him uh, on the on the podcast because um, he, like, he obviously does it and does it to like yeah. you know, professional <laughs> t- talented level, you know, but I, I just always love the story. And I think the same with any piece of art it's like what well, what's the story what's there for mm. people to either see in themselves or to try and make sense of their own experience and i think games uh, like you said earlier like in in the empty space you have to fill it in yourself yeah. so and that's part of the magic it is it really is oh <laughs> um, now I did ask you to promote, to promote yourself. Yes, and then, and then we went on a lovely went to the tangent. So, so yes, this time for <laughs> real, plug for real, yourself. For real, yourself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so. I ha- next single is coming out on the 17th of February and it's a collaboration with um, a singer who's a friend of mine who I'm a big fan of called Jackie Beverly it's a song called Sultan and then on the 15th of March uh, my first EP is coming out uh, oh good congratulations oh thank you cheers yeah it's been a while <laughs> in the works um, and there's going to be a launch gig as well in the Workman's Cellar on the 15th of March as well in the evening and the doors will be open at half seven, and uh, Jackie's going to be playing too. So, yeah, so it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a busy two months, but it's yeah, it's busy, busy spring. 
Definitely. Yeah. Is there any social media or anything? People yeah, where can people find you and follow you and listen to you online? Yeah, it's um, at the show the music on all of the platforms, actually. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I'm not a brilliant TikToker. I'm, try- I'm trying to get better. There is actually a cool, there's there's so many niche spaces on TikTok. I'm only kind of starting to realize they're there. So there's TikTok and then um, well, Facebook, but I mean, not many of us are using Facebook. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah. Cool. And uh, there's nice. a couple of videos online and that. Um, it's kind of, I suppose the influences on the music have been more kind of like um, 70s and 80s and like a lot of cinema and stuff like that. But Sick. I, I definitely am going to be thinking about um, the the music in terms of uh, video games now because, of course, it all finds its way in there. It so, all finds its mm-hmm. way. Sarah, where can we find you? Oh, I'm, I'm always living in, I'm still living in the tiny mountain house and, you know, squirreling away um i'm on twitter.com still somehow at grifsky um i'm on instagram at sarah grifsky um my newsletter it can be found there and is griffnotes.ghost.io and my book spare and vampires in other words for smoke available in all good bookshops and i will have news regarding future works of fiction very soon what about you Al very exciting um, mm-hmm. I am Alan underscore McGuire everywhere Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter Juvenalia pod on Instagram uh, we have a Patreon where we talk about things that we've started and finished in the previous little while guys it's so good we've had yeah. so much fun it's fantastic we drink yeah, beers and play each other phones music off our phones and talk and, and we talk a lot of video, video games. games we really yeah, do we really it's basically do. a video game podcast it's it was a basically a breath of the wild podcast for a while then it was a spirit <laughs> for a podcast and now it's kind of a bit of everything yeah um thank you d mcdonald for our artwork. oh thanks d thank you to cassie and tall tales i love you cassie and thank you again kevin mcdermott aka the shoda Hi, bye everybody. Kevin. bye bye